We covered in our reading in this past week, if you've, been, if you've been reading along with our reading scripture in 2021, we covered three books last week. You know, we covered the books of Philippians, Colossians, and 1 Thessalonians. And then Josh said, preach on Sunday. <laughs> and it's like, well, where, okay, where do I start? That's a lot of material to cover. And I decided I wasn't going to try and cover all of that. But I did want to focus on a portion of one of those three books. I wanted to look at the book of Colossians in particular because last week Josh led us through a, a good portion of the book of Ephesians. And to me the books of Ephesians and Colossians go together. They're like two sides of a coin. Um, they are two books... Go ahead and put the put the uh, the first slide up there, Josh. Uh, you can go to the next one there. That the the books of Ephesians and Colossians were probably written by Paul at about the same time, roughly sixty years into the into the modern era, about thirty years after um, the end of Christ's physical time here on Earth, and. Paul wrote both of these books with a similar purpose to churches in the same region. You know, what we would call Turkey in the modern, on the modern map was known as Asia Minor then. Both Ephesus and Colossae were places in what we would call Turkey today. And they were experiencing similar challenges. Josh did a great job last week in talking about what Ephesus was like as a city and giving us a, a sort of cultural reference of what it was like to be in that part of the world, particularly to be in that part of the world as someone striving to live in Christ in a very strongly pagan society. Josh mentioned the, that the great temple to the goddess Artemis was in Ephesus, and it was a it was such a, a place of wonder that it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. A place that people came from all over to engage in idolatrous worship in this place. And Colossae was, unlike Ephesus, not a big city. It was kind of what we would think of today as sort of a small town. Smaller community. It was sort of a suburb of the larger uh, cities of Laodicea and Hierapolis. Those are the big cities in its area, and Colossae was kind of a, a smaller town in that same region, but still culturally very much like what we saw last week in Ephesus, very much a, a pagan, very much an idolatrous society. And so Paul is writing, just as he wrote to the church of Ephesus, he's writing to the church in Colossae, Dealing with Christians who are trying to, trying to grow their faith in that kind of environment. And so it's not by accident that the letters to the church in Ephesus and the church in Colossae sound a lot of similar notes. There are a lot of similar themes in those two books. Paul touches on a lot of the same points. But when I read those two books together, the one thing that stands out to me is that even though Paul is talking a lot about the same things, they are tonally different. There's a different tone 
to those two books. Ephesus, as we were talking about last week, is a letter that Paul wrote to people that he knew very well. As Josh mentioned, Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. It's one of the places where he spent the most time consecutively during his, his ministry as an apostle. So the church in Ephesus was a, a place where the people to whom he was writing were people he knew very well personally. The church in Colossae, differently, even though there were people that Paul knew there, this was a church where primarily Paul did not know most of the people personally to whom he was writing. It was not a church that he had established. He mentions uh, several times in the beginning um, in the beginning verses of the Colossian letter that he had heard about their faith. But that's different, of course, from knowing their faith from, from, from personal experience. You know, he'd heard a lot about the church in Colossae, but he didn't know the people there very well. And just like when we're talking with people, you talk differently to people you know really well then you talk to people that you don't know very well, even if you're talking about the same subject. If you're discussing a certain subject over the family dinner table, you would talk about it in a certain way. You would use a certain tone. You would, you would have a certain freedom with, with, with your, the way that you expressed your ideas. Whereas if you were having that same conversation in a room full of people that you didn't really know at all, you might talk about the same things, but you'd express them differently. You'd express them with more reserve. And when we look at the two letters side by side, the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to the Colossians, we see a difference in tone. The Ephesian letter is a very passionate letter. There's a, is, Paul, at points in that letter, is very emotional. He sounds a lot of strong emotional notes in that letter. The Colossian letter is written with more remove. It's written with more reserve because he's writing to people that he doesn't know the way that he knows the people in Ephesus. So it's just kind of interesting to put the two letters side by side and see here's Paul sending for, for the most part the same message to people in similar circumstances but in one circumstance he's talking to family and in the other circumstance, he's talking to strangers, essentially. Strangers with something in common, but strangers nonetheless. So as we go through the book of Colossians, we see a lot of similar themes. There are a lot of echoes of lessons from the Ephesian letter in the Colossian letter. For example, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul sounds the very same note from Ephesians that Josh built last week's lesson around. Live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Again, we saw that same expression in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. That same note being sounded. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, Paul talks about the supremacy of Christ in the same way that he talks about the supremacy of Christ in the latter, version, latter verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And again in Colossians chapter 3 verses 9 and 10, 
he sounds a note that we heard a lot in last week's lesson from Ephesians chapter 4, where he says, you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. So we see some places where Paul uses very similar language, talks about very similar things in both of these two letters. So again, it's kind of interesting to put them side by side and see how he deals with some of these same themes in talking to two different audiences. Go ahead to the next slide there, Josh. Both letters have the same goal. Paul is trying to get across the same key point to both churches. He is encouraging them toward mature faith. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, he, Paul mentions the fact that not only his ministry, but the ministry of all of those who are laboring in the gospel. In fact, the ministry of the gospel itself is to equip Christ's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, and here's that word, mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And again, he sounds that same note in Colossians chapter 1 at verse 28, when he says, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So both of these letters are being written to people to encourage them to grow in their faith, to mature their faith, to develop their faith beyond the, the most minimal understanding that one would need to become a Christian, but to grow into being effective and useful and powerful disciples of Christ. Go to the next slide there, Josh. So in order to do that, we have to change. That's that thing that Paul is talking about in both letters when he talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. But when he uses that language, Paul realizes that we, as readers, are going to hear that with the understanding of something external. You know, the idea of putting on and, and taking off is very much what we do with clothing. You know, when you got up this morning, you put on the clothes that you have on right now. And at some point, when you get home, you'll take those clothes off and probably put on something different. And that's an external thing. Your changing of your clothes doesn't change your body at all. You know, it just changes what you have on the outside. And Paul understands that people are going to hear that that way. When he talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new, he realizes that sounds like an external process. And so in Colossians chapter 3, he wants to clear that up. To make sure that we understand that it's not just like putting on or taking off clothes. Because he says in verse 12 of that third chapter, Therefore, 
As God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Notice that all of those things are not external. Compassion is an inward thing. That word literally means to feel along with someone else. To share their feelings. You know, to see someone hurting and you hurt along with them. You see someone distressed and you are distressed along with them. You see someone who is in mourning and you mourn along with them. That's what compassion is. That's not an external thing. That is very much an internal thing. Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion. So compassion involves something that isn't like putting on or taking off clothing on the outside of the body. It's about changing something on the inside. The same is true with kindness. Kindness certainly has outward manifestations, but it's something that begins on the inside. It's a determination to treat other people as you want to be treated. You remember the, what we often refer to as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's literally the definition of kindness. Treating other people the way that you want to be treated. That has external manifestations, but it starts with an inward attitude. Same thing with humility. Not placing yourself above other people, but placing their needs above your own. That's what humility is. Paul in the, in the second chapter of Philippians, if you read that this week, does a great job of showing us the humility of Christ in setting aside the glory of being the Son of God and taking on the humble form of a human in order that he could allow that form to be put to death for us. That's humility. And Paul calls us to clothe ourselves with humility. It's not an outward clothing. That's a change of something going on on the inside. Gentleness. You know, treating people with a, with a spirit of, of sensitivity towards their feelings and towards the, the things that are important to them. And patience. Dealing with people not from our position, but from their position. You know, dealing with people where they are and not where we would want them necessarily to be. All of those things are things that Paul says, clothe yourselves with, but that's a clothing on the inside, not something that's happening on the outside. Go ahead to the next slide, Josh. So in the next verse, Paul continues by saying, bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, forgiveness, not something that comes from the outside, certainly has outward manifestations, 
but something that begins on the inside. It begins in the heart and in the mind. It's a recognition of, of what's been done for you and therefore you're going to do for someone else in that same way. And over all these virtues, Paul says, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. When we think about love, what is that? It's a, it, it has outward manifestations, but it begins on the inside. It's always interesting when we read, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, a very familiar passage, verses 4 through 8, where Paul defines love. If you ever think about that passage and what Paul says about love, it's interesting that not a single one of the characteristics that Paul ascribes to love has anything to do with how we feel. Have you ever noticed that? Not a single characteristic that Paul ascribes to love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has anything to do with how you feel about somebody. It has everything to do with how you interact with them, how you treat them, how you deal with them, how your life connects to theirs. Which is why it's possible to love someone in the biblical sense that maybe you don't like all that much. Which is a confusing thing to the world because from a worldly perspective, we think about love as an emotion. But from a, ver from a biblical perspective, it is very much not. Which is a good thing. Because emotions come and go. You know, I might feel love toward you today and tomorrow maybe not so much. But from the perspective of spiritual love, there's no up and down. It's a constant because it's not about how you feel towards someone at a given time. It's about how you interact with that person. And so Paul here in Colossians 3 says, put on love. Not like you would put on clothes on the outside of the body, but put on love on the inside so that it changes your interactions with other people in a very fundamental way. And then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as the members of one body, you were called to peace. Having the peace of Christ ruling in your heart necessarily means that you will be at peace with other people. And specifically, as Paul says, with other members of the one body. If you're at peace within yourself, then you and I can be at peace with each other. Which is essential for our working together in the Lord. And, Paul says, be thankful. Something that we've put a lot of emphasis on in our culture over the last few days. But again, something that has external manifestations, but very much is an inward effect. Paul continues, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Notice, notice what Paul says here. 
let the message of Christ dwell among you as you teach and admonish one another through your psalms and your hymns and songs from the Spirit. How often when we're here on Sunday morning and we sing the songs that Nathaniel leads for us, how often do we consider the fact that yes, we sing songs of praise to God, and we, we do and we should, but we also sing songs that are intended to be directed at one another. That not only do we sing praise to God, but we sing teaching to each other. And those two things are equally important. That yes, we sing songs of praise to God, but we have a fundamental responsibility to sing songs of education to one another. To sing songs of teaching to each other. And if the message of Christ is truly dwelling within us, then that should come naturally for us, Paul is saying. If the word of Christ is really changing us on the inside in the way that it should, it makes us want to reach out to one another with those messages through the songs that we sing together. Which is why that activity, as, as enjoyable as it is, is more than just enjoyable. It's fundamentally important to our relationship with each other, our singing together and to one another, encouraging each other with the message of Christ. And finally, Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, he says, do it in the name of the Lord. Whatever you do, let it be informed by the fact that you bear the name of, of, of Christ and that you have been fundamentally changed by coming into him. And therefore, everything that you do is affected by the fact that you wear the name of Christ and give thanks to God for that. So what we see as we, as we look at all of these things is that the fact that we have changed, the fact that we are putting on Christ, affects everything about our interactions with others. That it's not just about what being in Christ does to me. It's about what my being in Christ does to my relationship with you. And that affects every relationship in our lives. And Paul begins to list some of those. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as, fit, as is fitting in the Lord. And sometimes we cringe in modern culture at that word submit. But what Paul is talking about there is be self-sacrificing. You know, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 5 says all of you submit to each other. What's he saying there? Put another person's needs before your own. Be self-sacrificing. 
That's what he's calling you to do in that relationship. Then he comes right back and says, husbands, love your wives. And again, as we just talked about, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 13 gives that whole litany of things that love means. None of which have anything to do with how you feel. But everything to do with how you interact with that person who is your partner for life. And how you treat that person. Modeling the way that God through Christ has dealt with you. And when he says, husbands, don't be harsh. What's he really saying there? To put it in modern context? He's saying, men, don't get all up in your manhood. Get all up in your Christhood. In your interaction with your wife. And see how that changes that relationship. See how being more Christ-like fundamentally changes your relationship with your wife. He says, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Again, you know, looking to the, the attitude of, of humility between yourself and another person. And that's something that we don't outgrow, by the way, because as long as our parents are living, we're still children. You know, we, we may not live uh, under, under their roof, but we, we continue to have a relationship of child and parent. And that relationship should be informed by our relationship with Christ. Fathers, he says, don't embitter your children. And really, when he says fathers, he means parents. Whether, whether mothers or fathers. Don't deal with your children in such a way that you drive them from Christ. But rather, deal with your children in such a way that you draw them to Christ. Because if you are truly living for Christ, your relationship with Christ should influence your relationship with your children. Or, he says, they will become discouraged. And that's really what he's saying. Live with your children in such a way that you don't draw them away from Christ or shove them away from Christ but rather live with your children in such a way that you draw them toward him by exampling the qualities and characteristics that are his. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. You know, we don't, thankfully, have relationships with slaves and masters in, in today's culture, but we do have bosses. You work for somebody, even if you work for yourself, you know, you have you have you have have people whom you depend upon for your business to succeed. He says, "Do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord." I know when I was working in the, in a corporate environment, 
I sometimes work for people I didn't like all that much. You probably had that same experience. But what does the scripture say? Do, do your work with sincerity of heart. And reverence, not necessarily for that person, but for the Lord. Why? Because whatever you do, work, with it, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And not for a human master, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And again, that, that affects our, our relationships in the, in the business world, where we, whether we literally have a, 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 a boss that we work under, or whether we work for ourselves and we have clients that we serve. Whatever those relationships are, Paul is saying, let those relationships be informed by your relationship with Christ. Because it's Christ that you serve and not that person specifically. And again, you know, for some of us, that's, that, that's challenging from time to time. But again, love is not about how you feel. Love is about how you do. And masters, bosses, employers, whatever, Provide your slaves, servants, employees with what's right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. You know, sometimes when we get in a position of authority, we get a big head. Sometimes when we have people working for us, you know, we feel like we're the big deal and we can treat people however we want. And that's not the case. It says, Remember, you have a master. And you know how you want that master to treat you. So you treat other people that same way. And this is a relationship, by the way, that applies sometimes in ways we don't even think about it. How about when you go into a restaurant and you are the customer? You are, in that moment, the master. And that person who's waiting on you is the servant. How do you treat that person? Is your relationship with that person informed by your relationship with Christ? It should be. The way that you deal with the people who serve you in a restaurant or at the grocery store or somewhere else that you do business... Do you try to lord it over them because you can? Or do you realize, hey, I have a master in heaven. I better be nice to this person. That same principle applies to every relationship. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to us. If you've really changed because of Christ then every relationship you have with another person has to change because it has to be informed by the principles of Christ and your having put those on. Why does this matter? 
it matters because it's not just about me. When we think about growing mature faith, which again is the point of Paul's letter here, just as it was the point of his letter to the church in Ephesus. Sometimes when we think about growing mature faith, we only think about what that does for us. But Paul wants us to understand that growing mature faith is not just about me. It's about me interacting with everybody else in a way that reflects Christ. Because notice what he says in Colossians 4 at verse 5. It says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Every interaction that I have with another person is an opportunity. It can be an opportunity for failure or it can be an opportunity for influence. It can be an opportunity to push someone away from Christ or it can be an opportunity to draw them toward Christ. And that's entirely based on how I live out my Christ-likeness. Because if I go about in the world and I don't treat people the way that these passages that we've just been reading demonstrate that I should, and people know that I'm a Christian, what is going to be the effect of my influence? The effect is going to be people are going to, be say, are going to say, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be that. If that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be one. Because look how they act. And between you and me, we all know Christians who've had that effect on us. Am I right? Yes. We've all known people who named themselves with the name of Christ that we looked at and said, I don't want to be that, whatever that is. And we have to recognize we can have that effect on other people. Make the most of every opportunity, Paul says. Every interaction that you have with another person is an opportunity to show them what Christ is really about by your actions and your attitude. And so he says, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Every word that you speak needs to be a considered word, whether it's a word to your husband or wife, whether it's a word to your parent or child, whether it's a word to your employer or your employee, whether it's to your neighbor next door, 
to a person you do business with, to someone you just have a casual encounter with as you go about life. Every word has meaning. Every word has an impact. So always let your words be full of grace. Always let your words be well seasoned. Know how to speak in such a way that your words reflect the mind of Christ. My faith is not just about me. It's important to have the effect on me that it should have. Don't get me wrong. But I also have to look beyond me at what effect does my faith and the way that I live it out or don't have on the people that I come into contact with. Because every interaction I have is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to influence another person for Christ, even if that person's already a Christian. Because as I said earlier, we all know people who've been driven away by the way they were treated by brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't you be that. Every interaction is an opportunity to model for someone else the love of God. The grace of God. The mercy of God, which we were just singing about earlier. Have mercy is not just for you. It's not just for me. Have mercy is for everybody. Let's live in such a way that everybody we meet knows that. Every interaction that I have is an opportunity to show another person this is the way to heaven. This is the way to a relationship with God who loves you and sent his son to die for you. Every interaction I have with another person is a chance to do that. In the very first chapter of Colossians in the, in the 27th verse, Paul used an interesting phrase. He said, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Don't let that hope just be for you. Let that hope be the hope of glory for everybody you meet. Because if Christ is truly in you, if Christ is truly in me, the hope that we have in Christ should shine out into the world in such a way that other people desire it and give us the opportunity to share with them from God's word how to get it. If we truly have the hope of glory within us,
that is Christ in us, then let that glory be reflected in everything we do and say in dealing with others. Because we are the only Christ most people will ever know. Our face is the only face of Christ most people are going to see in this life. What are you showing them when you show them that face? What are you showing them by your words, your actions, your attitudes? Your faith is not just about you. Your faith is about everybody you meet because you should want them to have what you have and to be going where you're going. That's the message that Paul wanted to share with these Christians in Colossae. I hope as you go about your week this week, and that's a busy time of year, because, so most of us have, have a lot of opportunity to interact with people at this time of year as we go into the holidays. Be conscious of the fact that every interaction you have with somebody is an opportunity to show them Christ. What does that Christ look like to them based on you? Based on what you say and based on what you do. And if you think about every interaction that you have with every person being an opportunity to influence them for Christ, how does that change the way that you interact with people? Hopefully it changes it for the better and hopefully that's something that we can always keep with us and continue to grow as we move ever so slowly sometimes toward more, more mature faith. If you're here this morning and not yet in Christ, know that he wants you. Know that he wants to share everything that he died and has risen again to give you. And we'd love to share with you how you can acquire that for yourself and begin to share it with the rest of the world. If you're joining us online, send us a note at questions at lakemercedchurch.com. We would love to share with you, connect with you, and help you get on the path that we're struggling to walk on, a path of reflecting Christ into the world. Let's stand and we'll sing.